1: If you've been lucky enough to have a mentor in your life, you know the value of the guidance they can provide you. But what about a femtor? I'm Steph from Heinemann, and today on the podcast, we're hearing from Irene Castillon, a Heinemann Fellowship alum who currently serves as an assistant principal in San Jose, California. During her time as a Heinemann Fellow, Irene explored topics of guiding professional relationships, alumni peer groups, and how to best support first-generation college students. Since then, Irene's scope of focus has expanded to zoom in on the deep value of mentorship between women, what she calls femtorship. Today, she is joined by Dr. Patricia Lopez of Fresno State University and Angela Rascon, a current student at St. Mary's College of California.
2: All right, let's go ahead and get started. So first, I've been looking forward to this for a long time because I get to share space with two powerful mujeres. And it's kind of, to me, a connect-the-dot moment, right? So Dr. Lopez is one of my femtors. I had her as a professor at San Jose State University. And she really has helped me not only... Get through. Well, she helped me not only get through grad school, but continues to help me navigate different situations. And she's actually the one who told me about the Heineman Fellowship that I ended up applying to and getting selected to. That led me to do Action Research Project. That led me to work with Angela um, in my um, project for Heinemann. So it's really great to be able to connect the dots in this space and think about really what femtorship looks like as we think about our own connected relationships, right? And how we reflect and share that really with the world. So excited to have you both here. And thank you so much for your time, which I know is so, so limited, right? Um, So thank you for taking the time to be here. So Dr. Lopez, my first question. um, So you have organized events and webinars through your work with Enseñamos en el Valle Central. And even though I'm not in the Central Valley, I've really had a chance to attend webinars. Yay. Thank you, Zoom. Um, And in them, you've mentioned the word femtorship and not mentorship. So I'm wondering if you could speak a little to why femtorship? Why use that word um, when thinking about relationships in like advising
3: and guiding? Yeah, thank you for that question, Irene. You you actually made me go back and really think about, you know, sometimes there are things that just feel so instinctual in the work that we do. And when we get asked those questions, it's an opportunity to just kind of explain. And, you know, so just really quick, the Enseñamos en el Valle Central, it's it's a university initiative. It's a Hispanic Serving Institution grant, HSI grant initiative to cultivate future educators, future Latinx educators, future bilingual educators. And, you know, we know that of of that community, a lot of them are more likely to identify as female. And so in doing our work and creating um, just opportunity structures, right, mentoring is a really important opportunity structure that is, you know, it's across. I mean, even when you become a professional. And so I think, um, that issue of continuing to say mentorship in a space that is not only just comprised overwhelmingly of females, but also involves, you know, men, right, males, queer males, but also feminist and feminist aspiring kind of epistemologies. And so a lot that we do is really grounded in in Chicana feminists, like, you know, Black feminist um, kinds of ways of thinking and knowing and navigating these systems. So it was just a you know, one of my team members was like, "We we really should think about using the concept of femtor," and I just think that it really encapsulates, you know, what's really happening, and and the fact that we are we are highly in these professions, we are also highly gendered, we're racialized, and we're we're definitely very gendered individuals, and so we you have to it, we have to acknowledge that. So long winded in it, but that's really you know a little bit of what brings that term and and I'm glad that it was something that resonated for you.
2: Yeah. And thank you for really bringing us back right to to the importance of our context and the importance and the power of words um, in disrupting and creating change. So thank you for that. Um, so my other question is for both you, Dr. Lopez and Angela, thinking about femtorship in your life, right? What does femtorship mean to you? And then what experiences did you have with femtorship growing up slash in schooling?
0: So thank you, Dr. Lopez for providing us with that like context of what femtorship means. Because truthfully, I didn't really hear about this concept until like earlier today. So now having it in, you know, context, I'm like, oh, okay, like I was right on it with what I was thinking. So I was thinking more of like inspiration, right? Um, And so that's what femtorship means to me. That's inspiration. And my experience with mentorship growing up and in schooling was, I don't really think I ever had a mentor or someone who I thought of as a mentor, or even in education, I never really saw a teacher like me. So I grew up in Eastside San Jose. I went to school in Eastside San Jose. Yet the demographic was very much um, Latino, Vietnamese, but the teachers who were serving us did not identify with either or. It wasn't until I was 14 and um, a Mexican-American history class being taught by a Mexican-American teacher, Miss Castion it wasn't until then where I saw like myself reflected and like, those experiences being embodied by someone. They, She came from a similar socioeconomic background, similar household languages. We shared languages and culture in common. And so it didn't really appear in schooling until I was in high school.
3: Yeah, I can completely relate to that. Angela. I I grew up in the Central Valley. Um, Sometimes it's a little bit just wild to think that I'm back here doing this work, essentially where I grew up. And I also didn't like I grew up in a predominantly, you know, Latino neighborhood and community went to school, overwhelmingly, you know, of, People from, you know, mainly Mexican communities, right? We say Latino, but it was very much, and continues to very much be like an overwhelming Mexican community, and and so, you know, I think back and later in graduate school, really having an analysis and tools to think about that, and you're probably spending just as much, if not more, of your time in that schooling context than you are, you know, uh, even sometimes with your parents if they work, and so. Not having that connection, not having those individuals. So I definitely did not have mentors within the schooling context. Um, I was very involved with the local community center. And, you know, there, I did find mentors. There were, you know, it was overwhelmingly young people um, who were from the community. And so I don't know that i I knew that they were mentoring me, but they were surely, you know, calling my parents if if I popped off, you know, like so, they were there were some parenting. Right. This, this concept of the village was very much alive in my in my growing up years. And so so definitely not in the schooling context, but within other and I and I, I deem those spaces as those are learning spaces. Those are places where we are being, you know, educated, right, where we are learning and fundamental. Like for me, that was a major a space where i learned and became who i who i am so yeah so i would say more community based mentorship even more yeah just um, just growing up and seeing that and feeling that and somehow that just kind of became natural for me too to to be that p- person with other with other people my family community
2: yeah thank you both for sharing and you know thinking about learning spaces in general, right, whether that's in a school building, whether that is at a community center, right, and really also highlighting the importance of seeing ourselves reflected in others, right. Um, I th- One time I texted Angela about something Dr. Lopez did for me, actually. And then, Angela, you want to share what you said in my text?
0: Yes. So I said, it seems like Dr. Lopez is like who you are to me, so I don't know if that makes sense, but like the relationship <laughs> that me and Ms. Castillon have is like the relationship that I see Miss Castillon and Dr. Lopez having.
2: Yeah, really. And um, that, you know, representation, right? And for me, it was my second year, right, of grad school at San Jose State where I really felt that. And I went, you know, I grew up in schools where it was probably predominantly, you know, black and brown students, but didn't see that in the educators, right? Um, or in the different learning spaces that I was a part of. So thank you for that. So yes, Dr. Lopez is my Miss my, my Castillon. <laughs> um, so thank you for that. Um, all right, I, Dr. Lopez, I have a question and you kind of touched about this in the last question, but I know that you mentioned thinking about being that person for others. And I know that you're extremely busy but yet you take the time to advise and guide students. So wondering why make that time, right? And what impact do you hope to have in that role?
3: Man, you know, to me, I just, I feel a sense of obligation. Um, I'll just be honest. It's, I really do feel this, you know, whether it was directly or indirectly, I know that things that you know, people before me really created the opportunity for me. I mean, think about it. I'm, you know, this kid who grew up on the North side, you know, in the barrio of my small hometown, I graduated continuation high school. It wasn't like I was this cream of the crop, you know, kind of student. Um, But I think that there were a lot of people who, you know, regardless of those, those structural barriers before me, like they just kept pulling me and pulling me and, um, You know, I just I feel like it's an honoring of of those that what has been done for me. And, you know, and I'm sure that they didn't have time either. (laughs) Um, So I I always feel like, you know, um, and I'm always very open with individuals who come into my journey who share, you know, because there are things that I'm just I'm also not a good mentor at certain things. Right. So I'm also very forthcoming about that, like if the, you know, like I'm your go-to person for these things. Right. And, um, you know, and there are things that I'm just not like, and I'm okay with that. Right. Like I'm also very open to who I am. And that's why I'm a firm believer on people also telling individuals who I have an opportunity to mentor, to have multiple mentors. Right. And so I feel like in being open with you know, who I am, things that I'm just not strong in. Right. So I'm always big on saying, you know, like, man, I'm just, this is not my, my strength. That also gives mentees, you know, colleagues the opportunity to know, like, I'm probably not the go-to person on that. So then when, when I'm in these relationships and I see them as relationships, individuals like Irene is like, you're literally calling me because you're like, This is my go to like this person. I know that in this situation, this person will really guide me in this. Right. I will never mislead someone like I care enough about people to say, like, man, don't don't let me mislead you because I don't know that that world or that situation. But I'm going to find you someone. Right. And so I think also, you know, it's it's the time to also say, hey, let's put you with this individual because this individual is going to get you where you need to go. And so I just feel like it's so collective and in that manner and building that relationship, it doesn't feel like it takes up time. It doesn't. In fact, I wish I had more time. And I just, I feel like it's the same, like when your sibling, um, or one of your primas calls you, you don't feel like, you know, like, Oh my God, I don't have time. It's just like, you just do it. You just, it just feels that way. So, um, So that's kind of how I feel about that, Irene, in terms of I just don't see it as having to make time or carving out time or like any of that. It's just, you know, the relationship is there and the relationship is open. um, We know each other, you know, like Irene is like, I'm not going to call it a certain time. Like I know she's having an event. We're in each other's world enough to just kind of know that, too. So, yeah. Yeah. Thank you for sharing and
2: really. um. You know, hitting on this familia, right? Um, that relational aspect of familia. And, you know, m- you mentioned care and cariño and love, right? Which you definitely infuse, right? When um, we have conversations and knowing that, like, what you say, right? And knowing that what I say to Angela really comes from, like, this deep place of heart um, and, you know, soul and roots, if that makes sense, in terms of where we're going, right? Um, Angela, what are your thoughts on that? Full circle kind of thing. Like, it's <laughs> exactly what we're thinking. Even like the,
0: even the primas part, like that just literally same, because I'm the first in my family to be in higher education. That's not on, just completely merit-based. So I've had cousins who are like scouted through sports or like through other avenues where they have someone on campus who is advocating for them, who is like, I'm on your team, like here in camp, on campus but I'm the first one to be on like merit-based scholarships. So for me, it's like navigating this space where I don't really have a coach advocating for me here or I don't have like, a. am also first-generation student. So I I didn't, there's, you know, only limited resources for first-gen students. I didn't make the cut. And so it's like, I don't have anyone here on campus, but it's like, yeah, my primas will call and they'll be like, hey, I have an essay due at 11.59. I'm like, girl, it's 10. Like, why would you barely, like, it's 10. But, you know, I'm like, just send it, just send it. And even if it's grammar check or, like, correcting MLA or if it's APA, like, what does that mean? Like, figuring it out with them. So I loved how you brought in, like, you know, it doesn't feel like, oh, and we're the same age. Like, them and I, we're the same age. Only difference is, like, I came to a four-year. And they're like, well, she went to a four-year, so I'm going to reach out. And I'm like, okay, well, let's figure it out together. Like, some of them have been older, too. And I'm like, okay, well, this is a grammar thing or this is a... A citation issue, like whatever it is, like, it's like the aspect of like figuring it out together. And it, I don't think I consider myself like a mentor. But it's like, um, we were talking about this earlier, but it's like, a friend who knows, <laughs> or like someone who's willing to put in that time, I think time is a very big theme.
2: Yes, and figuring it out together. I think before I had these relationships of community right specifically with other women of color I felt like I was so alone and like it was very individual right and so being in this space just reminds me of the importance of the collective right and how that really has roots right in our like our indigenous roots right and our ancestors and how really femtorship is also a way of bringing that back, right, and and honoring that as really a sacred space. Angela, so you spoke a little bit about um, your primas, right, and how you kind of see yourself as a, a femtor to them. I'm wondering, as you think about femtorship, what is the most important characteristic of a femtor in your opinion? Trust
0: and continuity. So these two things are It's not built over one or two days, it's years. So I think the most like trust, right? Like I think back to senior year of um, high school, like when our relationship started, I was, you know, a freshman in high school, but then I think it was just like, hi, how are you? Good. How are you? But then senior year, you're like, okay, like college applications are starting. We're going to do this it was like your dedication towards like our educational success. Like there were some days where we were on campus from like 4 p.m. to like 9 p.m. because this deadline was going to close and you wanted us to submit these applications. And we just found out about the scholarship this morning. And like, that was your time, right? And so it was like, we were building trust during those times. And then the most like clear, the clearest memory I have is when senior year stress, because I imagined like tuition, like I'm like, oh, it's going to be maybe X amount. But then seeing the bill like right in front of me, I was like, what is this? Like, this is thousands and thousands of dollars that I don't have. And so I would lose sleep. Like, I think my mom would hear me like moving around in bed. And I just like would lose my appetite. And I was losing hair because of how stressed I was. I was like, I worked so hard for four years. And like, now this like college dream is not in my hands. Like, it's not attainable. And then I think my mom called you. I don't know how it worked out. She might've gone into the office, but you pulled me aside and you were like, trust me. And like, even now I can like, literally, we were outside of one of the portables and we're like, you just have to trust me. It's going to be fine. Because I didn't know how like this institution worked and you did. And just like, you literally just saying like, trust me. That's when we started building our, like, you know, I was like, okay, like this is going to be my person. Like, and even to date, whether it's like good news or bad news, like, you're the second person I want to talk to. I'm like, just yesterday, I sent you a text. I was like, I got the scholarship, you know? So it was like that trust, but then it's like the continuity that keeps it going. So that didn't just end when I was a senior in high school. Now I'm a senior in college and we're doing grad school applications. So it's like, (laughs) you know, it's like a continuous relationship that we've been able to
2: build yes, grad school applications, we're going to handle that situation. Um, Yes, no. And thank you for again, uh, trusting me, right. Um, And really thinking about also the family part and your mom reaching out to me, right. And so I think it's also getting to back to what Dr. Lopez was saying, right, of really of the familial relationship. And also, Dr. Lopez, you said, like, you know, your mentors called your parents, right? And so having that um, almost a relationship beyond the, the student, right, beyond the individual, and with their community, right? Um, again, so that that struggle is not just on one person, but really looking at it as like, all right, how could we like as a community, right, figure out the situation um, to get through what we got to get through? super excited for you, Angela, and so proud of you. But Dr. Lopez, uh, so you mentioned a little bit about your your own identity and your own background. I'm wondering, how has your identity and positionality impacted your role as a femtor and the way that you advise and guide your students?
3: I think probably one of, because I, I do feel like a lot of times we come into each other's journey in, in some of those situations, like what Angela just Explain right like here you are feeling you know overwhelmed you're feeling vulnerable um you're juggling a lot and so you know i i see that a lot in um some of the the people who i get to mentor and so sometimes i i'll use myself in a joking way and saying you know kind of i think i even alluded to it earlier where i just say look if someone like me can get this far and you have like 10 times more talent and brilliance than I did at that stage, you got this. Right. And sometimes it's, it's just, it's humanizing yourself to someone who can easily be looking up to you. Right. So I'm very conscious of that sometimes in, in my role and, and, you know, in your role, like we can quickly like lose sight that other individuals are looking up to us and, and we have to humanize ourselves. Right. So, so I, you know, I share my journey. I share the things that, you know, and, and people who were really instrumental in helping me to get through, you know, just like structural obstacles. And I do feel that that's also part of, you know, who we are as, you know, you, you invoked, right. Just our, our indigenous, our na- ways of knowing and, and ways of being and that humility and so, you know, I talk about it's not just identity in the sense of like nationality or, you know, like those aspects. But it's about what we're grounded in. Right. And and what is it that's at our core? And I can get feisty sometimes, but overwhelmingly when it comes to, you know, like I, I do put humility and, you know, a little bit of humor in there, too, Um and you know, just sharing my journey and sharing things that aren't always obvious, right? Um, so a lot of times, individuals who become mentees can really again lose sight and and think that you know, like this, they're not going to get through it. And to share and be open in saying, you know, like I've I've been there, right? The same way, like you know, Angela, you explained, like you know, that's so important. And to let them know, remind them. Right. Like I grew up working class. Right. Like I had these similar things and then I didn't have certain things. Right. Like, you know, I have a lot of a a number, I should say, a number of undocumented students and also saying like that is not my journey. Right. That is not an obstacle. But we can work through that obstacle. Right. Like it is not the all all encompassing, like your 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 whole future. Is, is because of that. So I think just when I think about identity and positionality, I I see it more or just as much about what grounds us, right? And all the things, Eden, that you've already been naming, right, and putting out there, I think are so, so much a part of that. Yeah, thank you. Um, I
2: feel like that connects to like always grounding us in our why, right? Like why we do what we do. What is it that like leads us, right, Um, to take time, like you said, both of you said, right, Um, and where that originates from. So that holding on to our why um, is, is really important. So thank you for sharing that. So, Angela, you're going to be an educator. So, everyone, uh, Angela is applying to grad school programs in the school of, in different schools of education to become a teacher, which is amazing. Uh, And I'm so excited for her. So, as you think about your students, right, what lessons do you hope that your students will learn from you?
0: Um, So, the most important one that I want them to learn is. I want to teach ethnic studies, which I don't know if y'all know good news. It's now going to be implemented in K through 12. So I'm like, we just in time. Um, but that's what I, that's where I want to be. I think history, I love history. It's really fun, especially when you're being taught your own history and you're seeing your stories reflected. It's, her story It's not just history. Um, so I love that. I just, I think it's great. I don't know. I like when students are able to connect. But with that, um, I want students to know themselves, right? To know their history, to be comfortable in their identity, whatever that may be, and you know, their backgrounds and come into higher education with that knowledge of knowing themselves, like a secure identity, to be confident that some of these identities that they hold are not a deficit, but they're an asset to the communities that they're coming into. You know, for me, I came in with a very strong identity of self and like nationality. And I already knew like race and ethnicity because those classes were available to me in high school. And I see like how hard it is for certain students to be in spaces where not everyone is necessarily rooting. I don't don't say rooting for you, but you know, you're coming to higher education where people from all over the world are. We're not in our little bubble. For us, it was like Eastside San Jose and like what that community looked like to coming to a private, small Catholic school with people coming from all over the world. One of the strongest things that I came in with, I know I'm Mexican-American. I know I'm first generation. I know I'm Latin. I know I'm a woman. And like, this is what I knew and I was confident in. And so when I was in these classes, I'm like, you know, I'm in this ethnic studies class. And for the first time, the person next to me is learning the difference between race and ethnicity and nationality. But it's like, I already know this. And I already know who I am. And so when you're reading a lot of these things that you're exposed to, you're like, I can look at this through a different lens, like, I can use like a feminist lens to view this, or I can look at this from a different angle, you know, and it's not the ethnic studies classes necessarily that there's that identity and like that you need but it's in other courses where you're discussing like western literature and it's like okay what does that mean to me as like in my identities like how do I connect to this can I connect to this and like how do those people's opinions how are they coming at me with my identity like what does that mean so just like being secure and confident in who they are and knowing their history you know ethnic studies is such a broad thing. And I want them to like, you know, whatever their background is, like bring that culturally competent education into the classroom so that when they're leaving it, they're like, I know who I am. I know what these themes are. And I can be critical of what I'm reading and what is being fed to me.
2: Yes. And I'm so excited for your students to to learn that. Right. And I, I find myself uh, in our conversations, Angela, as you're taking these ethnic studies courses, right? Like, I've learned so many lessons from you in terms of what it means to be, you know, more just, more inclusive, right? Being really mindful, right, of different aspects of my life, right, where I need to really think critically about what it means to decolonize certain parts of my life, right? And you bring that to me. Um, And so I'm so excited for your students to have that and for your knowledge, to, to be shared with your classmates um, in your teacher ed program and, of course, your students. Dr. Lopez, what about you? What lessons do you hope that your students learn from you?
3: and I think I think Angela really captured a lot of it. You know, for me, there's, there's definitely a, a difference or also coming out of, you know, just those opportunities to, to know the self, right? those were very important things that happened for me early on through community, right. Through being a part of a community center. And those things were happening outside of formal schooling context. And, you know, they, they were happening in our home, right. We also don't regard, you know, the pedagogies of the home as an education. Right. And so for me, I'm really big on, on saying those things openly with our, with, you know, folks that I, I get to mentor because or being a femtor to somebody because it's just that's important, too. Right. And, and those things are really important. And to, like, deconstruct those things as well. Right. There are things that are happening in community and homes. Um, you know, I'm in teacher education. And so preparing future teachers to really think about that even before they hit the classroom, right like what do you know about yourself what do you know about others what do you know about the young people you're going to you know educate what do you really know and so there are there is you you reference decolonial like it's also decolonizing of the self and i think that that is big supporting people to to feel comfortable and not stigmatized by that practice right And, you know, those are things that get reinforced, like to Angela's point, those things should always simply be reinforced within the schooling, formal schooling context, you know, within courses that hold the label, right, a label of ethnic studies, you know, Latino studies, all of those like, but within the whole climate and culture of schooling, because, you know, for me, a lot of it is to hold those epistemologies, those ways of knowing. And so I think for me, that's a biggie is, you know, for for my femtees, you know, overwhelmingly to just know that like the institution going into a career and going back into an institution that has probably already, you know, kind of did a job on on self-esteem, on their sense of self. So I want them to know that 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 is just as important as knowing all the content, you know, knowing all of the different facts and things like that, that those things are really important. And I think, you know, how Angela articulated within how she she envisions it. Right. Like because it's not right, Angela, it's not just like let's go learn all the timelines and all of the the heroes and the figures and the people it's about you know like who are you as well right it's it's just as much as about the self as it is about all of these other yeah just these other things that are that get covered and that we're we're kind of held to to know or measured on how how much we know and don't know so and the advice is to also carry that on which i completely can see in you know, in the, your relationship, I I see it, it's just, it's vibrant, it's, it's so obvious, and um, it's just amazing to me how it is not something, it's still rare, it's still rare to be in community with people, um, let alone, right, for a femtor or femt to really feel like you can be vulnerable, and um, just be reminded that loving yourself, is more important than any of these other endeavors and those endeavors will only reflect right how you do and how you you know like navigate all these systems you know is it's it's, it's going to come back to you know that important thing and so I want these my femtees to to do that with others right like remind them like man you know love yourself right that is so important i don't care i will never care if angela knows or doesn't know every like fact about, you know, Mexican American history or her story, right? If who she is and loving herself isn't there like that's what's going to be infectious to to her students, right? That's what that right there, that's what your those young people are going to just latch on because they're going to see you as someone who loves yourself and then is also explore, you know, exploring these really cool things, right? You know, so yeah, I think the issue of cariño, of love, self love, Irène, really resonates with me, and how you've you've brought us through this conversation, and I think that's important to to lift that up. Yeah, and especially
2: as we think about you know, the spaces and sometimes you Know cariño and love aren't necessarily welcomed in those spaces, right? And I think that lifting that up here is so powerful. And so, I just really want to thank you for helping me to love myself and share of myself with others through the femtorship that we have and the multi generational impact, right? That it won't stay here, that we're gonna keep it going. Um, and that to me gives me so much hope because I know that that is grounded in love, right? Um, so thank you, thank you for sharing your thoughts. So appreciative of you too, And thank you. Las quiero.
1: Our thanks to Irene and her guests for their time today. You can learn more about Irene's work by following her on Twitter at MSBigCastle. Find transcript of this episode at blog.heinemann.com.
2: The Heinemann Podcast is a production of Heinemann Publishing. It is produced and edited by Steph George. Sound mixing by Steph George. Our creative producer is Lauren Audette. And our executive producer is me, Brett Whitmarsh. To learn more about the
1: Heinemann Podcast, visit blog.heinemann.com. Thanks for listening.